Oh, I love God. I get so excited about God's Word. And I get excited about you all, too. So what I'm teaching these Sundays, I almost feel like I need to make it required listening to those who are joining the church. Uh, We're talking about grace. Well, before I get too wound up, let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for today, and thank you for your grace. Lord, sometimes I get up in the morning and have a heavy load with all that needs to get done. And then, Father, I just stop and say, thank you, thank you, thank you for forgiving me. Lord, that I'll never, ever have to pay. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your forgiveness, Father. Thank you for this morning. Thank you for this church that gives me the freedom and the privilege to teach what I understand your word to be saying to us. So I commit this morning to you, Father, in Christ's name and for your glory. Amen, amen. Well, I think part of my job as your pastor is uh, uh, to warn. And uh, I, I need to do that today. I didn't realize a church of 28 people and their pastor could have such an influence on our community until I saw we had a note stuck in our front door when we came home last night. Um, There's a church here in town that's having uh, evangelistic meetings. And uh, it's a Baptist church not too far from where we live. And it was advertising a uh, evangelistic uh, revival service being held in one of the churches in our neighborhood. And uh, the speaker for today, tomorrow, Tuesday and Wednesday is a a band by the name of Ray Comfort. I don't know if you've heard that name or not, but you have to be careful because he's a great speaker, by the way. And I may go over to the service, one of the services. But um, what Ray Comfort teaches, uh, 95% of what he teaches is right true to God's word. But it's the 5% that concerns me. And I did a little research, and I've got like 11 pages, but I just brought one with me. Anyway, I had experience with Ray Comfort uh, previously in the children's work. Um, Ray Comfort is an eloquent speaker, and he is certainly correct on the issue of God's law, i.e., a person cannot be saved without realizing their guilty condition and condemnation under the law of God. I agree with that. I've always taught the children, the the teachers that we had in our Bible clubs, I always taught if a child does not understand the concept of sin, they do not understand salvation. They have to understand, first of all, that they are sinners. And I've told you the joke before about the little boy who said that, I said to him, have you ever sinned? He said, no, but my daddy has. And, uh, but the little boy has to understand, the little girl has to understand 
um, that they are guilty and they are sinners. Ray Comfort errantly teaches that salvation by faith alone in Jesus Christ is not enough to save someone. That is a false gospel. According to Ray Comfort, a person must also cease from their sinful lifestyle and give up worldly living to be saved. Thus, eternal life ceases to be a gift in Ray Comfort's gospel, which has now been turned into a reward. This is a backward gospel where a sinner must reform as a prerequisite to qualify for salvation. I, I told you the story about, uh, we used to go to the Navajo Nation Fair every year up at Window Rock and 100,000 people would come for the parade on Saturday. It was a huge, huge ministry that we had in the children's work. And um, I would either hand out or explain the gospel to 5,000 people that week. It was just amazing, amazing, amazing. And one of the Navajo gals, older gal, who grew up with an alcoholic husband, and uh, it was a terrible time in her life, for her life and for her family. Alcoholism, as you know, is a big problem with Native Americans. And um, I trained, because uh, I was on the Navajo reservation, I trained Navajos to help me share the gospel with those who stopped by our booth. And uh, I told you about the Navajos coming by because they saw me making jewelry. Uh, I had two really bright, the bulbs were as bright as I could handle them without setting everything on fire, but uh, two bright bulbs on a white flannel working with colored beads. And they would stop by and say, uh, what are you making? What are you doing? I said, well, I'm making bracelets. Oh, you are. May, can we have one? And I would say, absolutely, but I need to tell you what the colors mean first. And these are the colors of the wordless book, and I think many of you are acquainted with that. Uh, and I, so I would explain to them what the colors meant, and of course the Window Rock football team from Window Rock, Arizona, the high school football team, they came by one day, and they said, uh, can we have one of those? And I said, absolutely. I said, I'll even give you one for your girlfriend, you cheapskate you, this 12-cent bracelet. And, uh, but I said, I'll give you two, but you must listen to what the beads mean so you can tell other people when they say to you or ask you, wow, that's pretty, what do those colors mean? And you can share with them what these colors mean. And of course the colors were the plan of salvation. Gold for heaven, there's a street of gold and so on. And the, the not, not a color, but the dark was sin and uh, the yellow, white, and or anyway, so I'd, I'd explain it to them. Well, this Navajo lady who grew up with an alcoholic husband, she was counseling and I could hear her. And I heard her say to the little children, the Navajo children, she said, and she was right on target. 
about how they could know God's forgiveness and, and come uh, to his saving grace. She added one thing, and promise God you'll never touch alcohol. I finally, she was a dear friend, I finally said to her, I said, ma'am, I cannot use you in this booth because you cannot say that to the children. But Mr. Jerry, you don't understand. I grew up, I still have a husband who was abusive alcoholic. I said, I am so sorry and it breaks my heart to know what you're going through. You cannot tell children that they must promise never to tell, touch alcohol. We had this come up in Kingman and some of our, our teachers were beginning to share the gospel with children, but then they would ask the children, promise God that you will not do anything wrong. I said, you cannot, you cannot. Salvation, folks, is by grace and grace alone, nothing attached. Don't attach baptism, don't attach church membership, don't attach that you'll never sin. You can't do that. So I'm warning you, just be a little careful. And I saw a couple of you nod your heads. You know who Ray Comfort is. He's a wonderful guy. He's a great communicator. I don't know if he's going to talk about these things at, uh, at this revival service, but I'm sure in the counseling that's being done and... Um, this is what happens. So, please, folks. <laughs> oh, I got something else here to share with you. Uh, this is what a gentleman writes. I have 11 pages, but I'm going to share just a couple with you. <clears throat> Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 says, By grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one can boast. Soon after moving to Virginia years ago and becoming associated with a small congregation, I was asked to serve on a search committee to find a preacher, as the congregation did not have a permanent one at the time. In the first meeting of the search committee, when the members expressed their ideas of the factors that should guide our search, some of the members expressed, listen, some of the members expressed that they wanted a preacher who doesn't preach too much about grace. Can you imagine a pulpit committee making that a criteria, pastor, we would love to have you as our pastor, but you have to promise us you won't preach too much about grace. I have told you a few times, several times, that my pastor friend who has Key Life Ministries, Steve Brown, he said, until you are criticized for preaching too much grace, you are not preaching grace enough. I know. So this pulpit committee member says, I wondered why the subject of the grace of God must be avoided or spoken about with moderation. 
Why not celebrate? Why not shout it from the rooftops? Because you can't trust everyone with the knowledge of grace. You know what happened to Martin Luther's town when he was set free because of the gospel of grace and the town had a raise, uh, increase in alcoholism and crime. And someone said to him, you know why? It's because you have talked about grace too much. People need to pay penance, go to confession. We can't trust everybody with the knowledge of grace. Are we afraid that people are going to misunderstand grace? How much talking about grace is okay? Will people understand grace more correctly if we don't talk about it? Duh. I wondered if my new Christian friends, talking about the church he was attending, had at some time heard a barrage of sermons falsely claiming that God's grace eliminates any duty on the part of Christians who are by that very grace licensed to live an unregulated, undirected life in utter disregard of Bible's direct commands inculcated from the guilt of the willful disobedience. I'm trying, oh. That's why I'm doing this series. Because it, it grace doesn't mean do whatever you feel like doing doesn't mean that at all. We have a set of commands. Not the Ten Commandments, but the commandments that are given to us in the epistles to the church. Do not worry. That's in the church epistles. Just a couple more ideas here and then I'll let it go. What is grace? The word comes from three Greek words, all stemming from the same. Charis. You maybe have heard of Camp Kerith, C-H-E-R-I-T-H. Pioneer Girls, I think, has Camp Cherith, which is a grace. It's one spelling for the Greek word for grace. Charis, which is defined as a gracious, graciousness of manner or act to the divine influence upon the heart and its reflection in the life. The more we understand grace, folks, the more grace oozes out of us and touches the people that work next to us, that live next to us, that are in our family, our relatives. The more we understand grace, it begins to come out of your skin. It oozes and you begin to smell. You smell like grace. And people, they want that. They want that. I tell people about this church back in Illinois, and they said, Pastor Jerry, come back and start some more churches, like Desert Gardens. I tell people that you love to hear the gospel taught. You want to understand God's word, but you stay out of other people's lives. We're not here to monitor other people. We're not here to be a lifestyle referee. And that's what I'm going to be teaching now, the next couple of Sundays. Do we have some rules and commands? Absolutely, we have commands. So, charisma, or charis, gracious manner or act, a divine influence upon the heart, its reflection in the life. 
charisma, you've heard that word, divine gratuity, that is deliverance from danger or passions, specifically a spiritual endowment that is a religious qualification, miraculous facility, faculty, a free gift, the gifts. Charizomai, to grant as favor gratuitously in kindness, pardon, or rescue, to deliver, to forgive freely, to give or grant. <laughs> oh, it would be wonderful if someone said to me, Pastor Jerry, you smell like Jesus. In the presence of this apparent conflict, the same gentleman, it may be frightening to talk about grace too much because we might emphasize it to a point where we are steered away from obedience and duty? What my friends in Virginia feared was that an overemphasis on grace seemed to water down another biblical reality that we are to, quote, work out our salvation with trembling and fear. They are by grace licensed to live an unregulated, undirected life in utter disregard of the Bible's direct commands inculcated from the guilt of willful disobedience. The grace of God. I don't teach it with a disregard to obedience, the disregard to beware of sin. Grace, and this is what I've been teaching, and we're not going to hurry because this is absolutely, folks, if you don't like what I, the way I teach about grace, then you need to find another place to go. I don't know any other way to teach it except the way that I am. People, once you are forgiven, you are forgiven, period, of everything that you have ever done, that you are doing, or that you will do. You are never, ever going to stand before God in judgment. Because when God looks at us today, what does he see? He sees on us the white robe of Christ's righteousness. Because... When Christ died, God took all of our sins, past, present, and future, and placed it upon his son and turned his back so that his son cried, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Well, then, why do we have 1 John 1, 9? If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and forgive us of all unrighteousness. If all of our sins, past, present, and future, are already forgiven, then why are we had? What, what, what does that verse mean? That's called functional forgiveness. It's not talking about our sin nature. We have been delivered from our sin nature. We have been given the Holy Spirit. We have been given the power, folks, and I've said this to you in the past, given you the power to do everything that you will ever do to all of your life to handle every problem that you'll ever face. But 1 John 1, 9 is talking about fellowship. 
not talking about our sin nature. There's a definite article before the word sin. The sin. It's not in English, but it is in Greek. And we don't put it in the English. But when there's a definite article before the word sin, it's referring to the sin nature. Not the act of sin. And so when you and I sin, after we have become believers, after we have been declared righteous, after we have been forgiven, when we, do we sin after that? I don't know about you, but I do. Quite often. So why do I pray 1 John 1, 9? I pray because of functional. Because it... It, it affects my relationship to God. Not my position, but my relationship. My fellowship. That's 1 John 1, 9. Grace is the unmerited, unlimited blessings of God based on totally adequate work of Christ. Grace does not mean that you do as you please. Meginote. Never. There are don'ts. There are do's. There are positive and negative commands that you and I are to faith and to obey there are certain specific commands under grace. It is not experience God's forgiveness and then live, live like the devil. No. It means, folks, that you and I will never, ever stand before God and account for the things that we've done wrong once we have received and been forgiven by Jesus Christ. Colossians. There's a negative command that belongs to us in the church. Do not lie to one another. First Thessalonians, a positive. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Our elders have never brought anybody to our session because they weren't rejoicing always. We'd all be there. No. Those are the commands for those of us now during the church. Oh, I forgot. I got so excited here, I forgot something. So you have in the handout uh, something I want. I, I must share with you. Um, let's see if I can find my hand out here. Romans 6.14, For sin shall not be a master over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. John 1.17, For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. And then John 13, I put this in here. It doesn't have too much to do with grace, but it is in that section that we look at all the time when we have communion. Jesus then answered, 
that it is the one for whom I shall dip the morsel and give to him. So when he had dipped the morsel, he took it and he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. After the morsel, Satan then entered into him. Therefore Jesus said to him, what you do, do quickly. Now no one of those reclining at the table knew for what purpose he had said this to him. For some were supposing, because Judas had the money box, that Jesus was saying to him, buy the things that we have need of for the feast, or else that he should give something to the poor. So after receiving the morsel, he went out immediately, and it was night. Therefore, when he had gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and will glorify him immediately. Those chapters, once Judas leaves the Last Supper, things begin to change. First, Jesus says that he's going to leave them, which they don't understand. I'm talking about chapters 13, 14, 15, 16, 17. And he says during those, those chapters now, once Judas leaves, things change. And so he's going to leave them. And they don't understand this. And secondly, this is the moment when Jesus, Judas leaves them to betray Jesus. And I'm sure that Jesus had lots on his mind, and there could have been countless other things to do on this last evening before his arrest. But he wanted to prepare his disciples both for his imminent death and his future departure. So these chapters, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, these chapters are all about Jesus preparing his church for when he is gone. Before, before I break down the series, let's put the Gospel of John in context. And I'm, I'm going to help do that when we get through this important part on grace. Uh, we're going to look at some of the miracles in John. It's fascinating. I did never realize this before, and I teasingly say to you that we were raising three little boys. I was a youth pastor, supposedly part-time, living next door to the church where I was a youth pastor on the third floor apartment and going to school and carrying a full load of class. Well, no, not a full load because it took me, it should take uh, three years. It took me four years to get out of seminary. My sweet wife, she raised three boys while her husband was trying to run a youth ministry of a large church and drive 40 miles each way to seminary three days a week. Iris and I have talked about it, and unfortunately we've laughed about it a few times, but I wouldn't trade those days for anything in the world, but I would never encourage anyone to do it again, ever. And we had some miracles happen 
We had somebody in the church that I was serving. Uh, paid my tuition so I could finish seminary. I was borrowing from my parents and I was writing IOUs that I paid back when their estate was settled. Somebody at our Bible college when Iris and I were going there, we, somebody had uh, devotions each morning before breakfast and they read a passage of scripture and then they said, well, that reminds me of a joke. And we all thought, what do you mean a Bible scripture reminds you of a joke? Well, they, um, I told you a few weeks ago that one of the things that we could not do as children was go to movies. We weren't allowed to do that. The problem I told you, and that's what we're going to be talking about, not about movies, but we're going to talk about what, what, what commands do we follow? Um, and I asked my parents if I could go see the slides some missionaries were going to show at our church. And my mother said, you can go, but if the slides start to move, you have to come home. That's a joke. They never said that. But that made slides movies. And so once they became movies, you couldn't watch them anymore. Well, the thing is, is that how do you know? How do you know what you can do and what you shouldn't do? Well, that's, rejoice always. That's one thing you must do. If you're not doing that, you're not obeying. You're being disobedient if you're not always rejoicing. Don't ever worry. That's a command in one of the church epistles. If you ever worry, you are sinning. And you must confess like I do. I'm the chief of warriors, as I have to do often, ask God's forgiveness. Why? Because I'm afraid I'm facing condemnation? No, no, no. I must do it because of my fellowship with God, not because of my eternal salvation. So we keep things in balance. There are a lot of commands, people, that you and I Always give thanks. Always read your voice. Don't worry about anything. I could go on and on, and you could too. All the, all the commands that we find in the church epistles that keep things in balance. If you worry, are you losing your salvation? No. You are affecting your fellowship, but you're not affecting your salvation. Well, if I've stirred up some questions, that's good, folks. I, I'm teaching you. I work hard. Iris and I went to uh, Benson yesterday to help Marty Riley celebrate her 85th birthday surprise party. Marty Riley had a Bible study with Mormon women in St. David with 80 ladies in her Bible study. And I asked Iris, I said, would you be willing to listen to a lesson with me on the way down? She said, well, I like to listen to what you listen to. Well, I said, it's, you know, don't get sleepy while you're listening because it's, uh, 
It's pretty detailed. She said, no, I want to listen. And we did. We both learned something, didn't we, sweetheart? It was a good time. Father, thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Lord, sometimes when I begin to worry, the antidote for that is to stop and think about what you've done and are doing and will do in my life. Do I cry? Yes. Do I have trouble sleeping sometimes? Yes. Do I worry a lot? Yes. But Father, thank you. I have never lost my salvation. And Father, I thank you that I am forgiven. I was forgiven. I was saved. I am saved. I'm being saved. I will be saved. Thank you for this church and Lord for their patience to put up with this pastor. Father, thank you for this morning. In Christ's name, amen. Amen, amen.